Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Love Doctor Podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Dr. Leah Tidy, and I'm so glad to have you here. Today on the show, I'm talking to the host of the Rethinking Manhood Podcast, Destin Land. Destin and I discuss men and sex, which sounds simple, but when you start to layer in shame and silence, and the fact that by grade three, you're already comparing penis size, yeah, it gets a lot more complicated. I first saw Destin's work when a friend shared one of his posts on Instagram. It was a beautiful piece about men and how society has created this pressure to prove how straight you are. Now, this could be by catcalling women or making homophobic comments and just generally trying to prove how not gay you are. Now, Destin's posts are always thoughtful, they're well-researched, and when I found out he had a podcast, I just had to listen. Destin is a higher education professional from Minnesota who's passionate about connecting and working with students, men's holistic well-being, and bringing a radical love ethic into every area of his personal and professional life. Destin is the creator of the Rethinking Manhood podcast, which focuses on bringing men and masculine folks together to unlearn patriarchal masculinity and make space for folks to heal, grow, and learn together in community. I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. So Destin, thank you so much for joining me today. I have been listening to uh, Rethinking Manhood that first season and just, uh, I mean, A, your voice is so like calming and thoughtful <laughs> and the music that you've chosen. And then, yeah, I just find myself, I was like cooking dinner tonight. I was like, mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of mm-hmm <laughs> while I was listening. So yeah, tell me a bit about uh, yourself and why you wanted to uh, start creating Rethinking Manhood. Yeah, yeah. Well, one, thank you so much for having me. Um, it truly feels like an honor. I think this is the first time I've ever guessed on a podcast before. So yeah, this is kind of like a moment for me. Um, I always answer things with the story. And for context, I'm in my mid-20s. And for people who have been there, I'm pretty sure they're like, mm, yep, I know what that season is like. And for folks who haven't got there yet, let me tell you, it is a journey. Um, but part of what that season of life has taught me is um, I had some struggles with mental health. So realizing that, you know, I've been experiencing depression and anxiety for a long time in my life, uh, but not really like ever having the language to call it that. Um, and eventually I started to realize throughout therapy that with a lot of the things I was experiencing in my life, I could really kind of tie it back to my understanding of masculinity. So how I realized that I had, you know, mental health stuff going on is it would be in the most random moments, but I would kind of just like trauma dump on people. Like anytime there was like a moment to be vulnerable, I would just like dump everything. And then I would find myself um, just kind of like feeling really intense emotions at very random times or uh, experiencing triggers and not knowing what to do with that. Um, and I realized that implicitly uh, I was a crybaby growing up. I was a mama's boy, still am a mama's boy. So like if you see my mom, I'm always just all over her. And I remember I used to cry every first day of school. And eventually my parents, you know, would keep telling me to stop crying, stop crying. And then I realized I kind of lost the ability uh, to cry. And I think more so I lost the ability to fully experience um, the emotions that I have because I think I started to believe that men don't have those emotions. 
And then when I kind of started to realize that, I was like, wait a minute, this does not feel like a good way to live my life. And that's when I I knew that there had to be uh, a way that I learned to rethink the way that I understand what it means to be a man um, and the way that what I think it means to show up uh, as masculine. So that's kind of like all the things that really led me to start the podcast. It's fascinating how you talk about, you know, that limiting of the emotions you feel like you have access to. Yeah. And I, you know, you know, as, as a woman and being, you know, raised female my whole life, I feel like I had access to all of like, you can feel all of these emotions. That's fine. But don't vie for too much power. Don't be too bossy. (laughs) Um, But you know, and, and I was just talking to my husband about this around, masculinity and he's reading boys and sex right now by Peggy Mm. Orenstein Mm -hmm. and for him he's like yeah like I feel like I could feel like three emotions and that was it and so being able to reclaim that and there's something about being in your kind of mid-20s it feels like that time that that's happening oh yeah yeah was it like maybe that part of your life that shifted that thinking or maybe like the schooling that you were doing was there something kind of that happened early mid-20s that just kind of rejigged shaped like shaped things for you yeah yeah a combination of all those things so one is I grew up uh, in a very urban community where I think we had some very rigid definitions of manhood so you know manhood for me was very heavy on like you know being aggressive um, not being soft uh, really like deviating from anything that's associated with femininity. Uh, I struggle saying that word, but y'all y'all know what I was trying to say. And because in those definitions were so rigid that I kind of like, I, I knew that I never fully fit into those boxes well, but I learned how to kind of as a survival tactic. And then uh, I went to a small, for undergrad, I went to a very small uh, private liberal arts college. And that's when I started to see like, wow, there's like people who kind of, live outside of this box. Um, And, you know, I remember taking a sociology course and learning how um, gender is is socially constructed. And I was like, wait a minute, you mean to tell me like all these things I've been believing is a lie? And that hit my mind kind of opened up after that. But also, too, I think naturally with that journey, um, from what I've read, a lot of uh, trauma that takes place in childhood often, you know, sometimes it doesn't start to impact men until their mid-20s. So often they can go a very long time in their life kind of either ignoring things that have took place. For me, it was kind of forgetting um, and forgetting and almost questioning like, oh my gosh, like did what I think happened actually happen? But then I think in my mid-20s, I started to, you know, the memory started to come back and I think I really started to feel the impact of the trauma that I never processed. I started to feel the impact of all the feelings that I never allowed myself to feel. So I can think of, you know, it can be an experience such as like a breakup and in kind of like, you know, at the end of a relationship, you kind of grieve. But I remember a particular breakup where I wasn't just grieving for that relationship. I was grieving for like all the relationships that I never gave myself the space to grieve for. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you, you get into that, especially in the season finale of, of of your first season there where you, you know, are very vulnerable and open, like, around, like, your mental health journey and the kind of, 
as you said, almost like remembering, and it's not necessarily that you're like your body for, you know, our bodies don't forget the trauma we've been through, but we, Oh yeah. The body keeps the score. Oh yeah. It it keeps it all inside of us. And then, you know, for some people it's, you know, a certain experience that like triggers that response and our brain is flooded with those memories. Right. And how often we're not given the tools to, to deal with that. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think, uh, especially, you know, as, as, young men you know entering like into the world and having to come to terms with things that have happened to them in their past and what that's going to look like moving forward like how i don't know how did you start addressing that in in your own way whatever you feel like comfortable sharing but how did you know as you said you were grieving all of these past relationships and maybe other things in there as well so how do you start handling that and looking after your mental health Oh, yeah. Well, I think one thing that I recommend for all people, but really all men, is therapy. And the reason why I think therapy is so powerful is I think it was the first space that I've ever entered where I knew I could say whatever I want. This person can't tell nobody. And you know what? They could judge me if they want to, but I don't know them. They don't know me. They don't know anybody that I know. So it's really, you really have like a level of safety in therapy. And I think that opening up is not like a overnight process. Like, you know, you don't, if you know, if you're more closed off, you don't become open overnight. And it takes practice. And I think for me, therapy was the place where I learned to practice sharing my feelings. And even it's just as as simple as like, I'm having a bad day. (laughs) You know, like something that simple. I think it took work in therapy to get to a place to express that and be able to unpack what that means. Another thing for me was really learning to own my story. Um, I think that so many men experience shame. And I think that that shame leads to a lot of secrecy for men. So I think that it's common for men to see uh, compartmentalizing as a good thing and having like this version of themselves, you know, in this space and this version of themselves in that space. And all of that just kind of leads to a lot of shame around our stories. Um, So I really had to learn to own and accept my story and realizing that, you know, the things that I've experienced have made me who I am today. That doesn't mean that I like, you know, should have had to experience them, but they still have played an important part of my journey in shaping me. And yeah, I think it's just kind of like that process of learning how to open up but also unlearning to see ourselves and our stories and experiences with like a lens of shame. Yeah. I really like how you put that too, right? I hadn't really thought about, like I talk a lot about sexual shame, like both in my academic work, but also on the podcast. Um, but hadn't thought about like that secrecy aspect too, or even if, you know, if you, enjoy doing certain things and from a young age maybe somebody shamed you because you're like well that's too girly or too feminine oh yeah folks oh, yeah. yeah folks who are listening y'all know i'm using my bunny ears right now i use them a lot you know what yep. i'm saying too girly too feminine you know what i mean <laughs> yep um, yep but yeah and then being told that from such a young age that it's like okay so these are parts of myself that i that i shouldn't show like that i can't or you try and like suppress them or get rid of them in so many different ways so how do you see that impacting, like if we're, if we're talking about sexuality and sexual expression, and again, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, mm-hmm. if you want to talk like theoretically at first, or we could talk personally, like how do you see that 
secrecy that secrecy gosh i can't even say that word right now (laughs) words are hard (laughs) words are hard sometimes femininity is particularly hard there's so many i and i and i do too many when i'm ever i'm writing it um it's like saying an an anemone yes (laughs) yes 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 i feel so seen right now (laughs) oh god i'm so glad Yeah, but how do you how do you see those things kind of impacting? Right, if we're always taught that that secrecy and that shame, like particularly for for men understanding masculinity, what does that look like in terms of sexual expression? Oh yeah, yeah. Before I answer that, I'm gonna go back to to something uh, I said earlier because you made me when you were talking about shame, um, you made me think of how. I think a lot of my journey to manhood like starts with a lot of shame where, you know, I think I was shamed for not liking sports, not being good at sports. Um, I was shamed for being sensitive. I was shamed for um, being girly, maybe for walking a certain way, for certain mannerisms and how like that, a lot of that shame led me to really kind of start moving through the world as not me. (laughs) Like I learned to move through the world as how I was expected to rather than how, rather than in a way that was most authentic to me. As I've been like unlearning that shame, I think I've had to rediscover who I am. And I think I've had to rediscover who I've always been starting with that childhood experiences. Like who was I before someone told me that I couldn't now I think going to to shame, secrecy, and sexuality. Oh, that's such a such a good question. There's uh, a lot of things come up. Um, one, I think of how often with men, I think men have a lot of shame around their bodies, and I think that there's this like unrealistic expectation that I think men place on themselves of um, having the perfect body, having the biggest or the best penis but you know I remember probably being in third grade so I think that's around the ages of like eight and nine you know I remember like talking about like whose penis is bigger or you know like it being a joke of like oh this person you know my penis is bigger than yours and I remember like all of those conversations kind of being a thing like pre-puberty and that's like how kind of ingrained like um you know, this expectation of what our bodies uh, must look like or be like to be acceptable. Um, So I think that's a big thing. But I also think that, you know, that shame and that secrecy can come to what a person likes. Like, you know, I don't, this isn't really sexual, but I really enjoy being the little spoon. (laughs) And I think like a lot of men enjoy being the little spoon, but there's so much shame around if you are not in a dominant uh, position within a relationship uh, or within a heterosexual relationship that like somehow you are not man enough. Or if you don't enjoy taking control or taking charge, you are not man enough. Or even if you just like, you know, even if there's different kinks that you like, I think that a lot of men don't openly express those things because of the shame of, you know, not being man enough. And then that leading to, I'm still going to like these things. I'm still going to enjoy these things. I'm just going to do it in secrecy. Another thing I think of is, I don't know, have you seen the show Euphoria? Good, good. I'm glad you have. I'm glad you have. That's good. And, you know, I guess I think of, um, I think the character's name is Nate. And I think that Nate 
you know, it's kind of a lot of that shame and that secrecy of, you know, often I think we try to oversimplify sexuality. Um, so it's like this oversimplification of you're either gay or you're straight. And not only that, but I don't think that our society really gives men or boys the space to explore themselves sexually and to explore their sexuality. And because they're not given that space, I think it leads to like, uh, I think I feel this, but like, there's not a way that I can explore this without being labeled this or without being shamed. But so much of patriarchal masculinity is rooted in homophobia. So I think that because it's so rooted in homophobia, men are often trying to prove how straight they are. You know, so it's those games of like, how many girls can I sleep with? Keeping track of like, how many people have you slept with uh, opposed to this person? So yeah, I say that to say that I think that patriarchal masculinity has a huge impact on the way that men um, and masculine folks just understand sexuality. Bring up so many points in that. I started like holding up my fingers because I was like, oh man, there's things that I want to pick up because there's just, it's juicy. It's good. <laughs> I think the, the first thing I was thinking about was about how early we start comparing our bodies to each other. Yes. You know, I didn't fully realize that, you know, you're talking about in grade three, having an understanding that penis size is somehow related to your sense of manhood and like being better or stronger or something than someone else. And I don't know if I will have fully understood that. So I have, I have three nephews um, and a niece and having watched my nephews, like the oldest is five. He definitely know, And so does the three-year-old. They both know that penis size matters. Again, bunny ears around matter. Yep. Yep. They yep. know. And, you know, as someone who didn't grow up with that anatomy, I was like, damn, like, are you serious that that <laughs> yeah. is so ingrained in your understanding of, like, your worth in the world is something that you have no control over? Mm -hmm. I just find that so boggling. And obviously not to say that, you know, uh, folks who are, you know, socialized uh, as female, of course, there's all sorts of body issues that mm -hmm. that we face. But I just to, to have it kind of so focused on one aspect of the body just yep. is is boggling to me and what a hard thing to unpack later on in your life oh yeah well and i would even add to that too that i think that often i just don't know if we we meaning like society if we do a good job of acknowledging that boys have body issues too and i remember having so much like insecurity with my body but that was never really a conversation. It wasn't something that I ever heard another male talk about. So I think it was something that I suppressed. But, you know, I think it even still shows up today of like, I don't like going swimming. Well, let me be real. I barely know how to swim. I barely. I can't survive. <laughs> but I think, though, that part of why I don't know how to swim is I think like the insecurity that I have with my body and knowing like uh, to swim means I have to be shirtless to be shirtless means I have to expose that I don't have this six pack, you know, that I do got a little bit of something there. That's just, you know, and I think I had that at a young age. And I think even in my adult life, it's still something that I think about now. But even like for men with the bodies that as a society we say are ideal, I think we exempt them from having those same body insecurities as well when often like those men may, you know, struggle in the same way too. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that, uh, 
you say that I've I've I mean me and a lot of other people in the world have been very enthralled by by Heartstopper and that whole you know the Netflix series yeah the comics what I enjoyed though and folks who haven't seen it I'm not giving anything away in the show but if you've read some of the comics maybe that'll be the thing uh, but talking about um, eating disorders and mental health in men right and they directly address you know how so often a lot of our like research and things that we've talked about has been well this is the impact on young girls and women and we just ignore that conversation of how it is impacting you know boys and men and it's fascinating too is even if you fit this quote-unquote ideal which is like a racist ableist very narrow ideal within itself yep that even if you fit that then you feel like you have to stay there because as soon as you stray you've like fallen from grace or something and so no matter what you just you're you know you're fucked no matter what you do oh yeah 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 Yeah, and not on the way you want to be at all oh yeah (laughs) absolutely absolutely (laughs) oh man and uh, you know i was i was seeing what you had said before about homophobia really being at at the the root of you know these fears around like masculinity let me prove how straight i am and and even you know like pulling that back too is how misogyny is at the root of that as well right it's Mm -hmm. it's not only that fear of like oh well if i do this people will will think i'm gay they won't they won't think i'm strong enough but at the root of that is just the rejection of the feminine the rejection of softness or vulnerability and how we have created this false dichotomy between the two and it's it's so sad to me as a sexual health educator to think about how those vulnerability and that depth of feelings and, and being really in tune with your body in certain moments, like those are really rich experiences that all of us should be given the space to explore. And we are denying that of so many people. Mm-hmm. So this kind of, this narrow idea, I really, I really like how, uh, you know, in, in your season finale, you're, you're talking about how, you know, I think you got your friend Kyle to be like, you know, what are the three like yep. biggest things that are affecting our world right now? You know, and I think he lists, uh, racism climate change and something else i can't remember the third one oh gosh i can't remember either (laughs) but all to say that of any of them as you said you're like well i feel like patriarchy has a role in 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 one of those right and we could talk about colonization we could talk about abortion rights and capitalism and so many other things related to that right and i think there's a distinction to be made because i think quite often when we say patriarchy people think men well men are the enemy and we're like that's not what we're saying so can you maybe unpack that a bit for me about how we understand maybe like patriarchy as a system and then those you know real individual impacts that it has on all folks but maybe particularly on on men oh yeah yeah yeah. so i think when we are talking about patriarchy i think that we are talking about a system that was built to keep men in power, men that hold those specific identities. So, you know, white, Christian, capitalist, able-bodied, heterosexual men. But I think it is a system that manifests itself through media. It manifests itself through gender roles, through really every single institution that we're in. So I think that, why I think that distinction is important because I think, so there's a reason why I don't say toxic masculinity. And it goes back to, I think that it is very hard to have conversations with men about masculinity if you say toxic. Because also, 
what men know as masculinity is literally like all they know. It's like probably all they know. It's probably all their fathers knew. All their grandfathers knew is what they knew. So then when you call that toxic, it's kind of like, well, dang, like my whole existence. Or I think that so many men uh, have a misunderstanding of feminism. Well, <laughs> sorry, I laugh because um, every now and then I think a lot of men, you know, they DM me and say mean things. But often like... I try to have conversations with men around uh, patriarchy and feminism. And I realize that like a lot of men haven't really read much about patriarchy or feminism. And I think that they have this belief that feminists are just a group of women that hate men and that the patriarchy is like something created by the feminists to like justify their hate for men. But often I think what men aren't seeing is that like, well, yeah, this system that benefits you, it's harming you too, actually. Because it is a system that is limiting you and tells you to deny yourself. It tells you to mask who you are. And it limits the emotions that are available for you to feel. Uh, it limits the resources that you can take. And it's, I think, what can be hard uh, to get about it for a lot of men is that a lot of this is happening so unconsciously, right? Like, it's happening in your boy toy section where you realize it's guns and action figures and all these things that promote violence or it is the advertisements that you know come with because you know how like you know google kind of filters ads based off of the identities that it believes that you hold like it it manifests itself in all of these systems does that kind of answer the question more? I'm not sure if that was the angle you wanted me to kind of take for the question. No, no, absolutely. And I think breaking it down to, you know, quite often it's, I don't know, I think it becomes oversimplified. Like you said, if people haven't yeah. read enough about patriarchy or feminism, it's easy to be like, well, this is something that I that I don't understand. And quite often is using language that can be alienating. And like you said, if yeah. you say toxic masculinity, you know, there are going to be probably a lot of men who are like, well, I, I don't really feel uh, called into this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'm feeling very called out, which is also important, which needs to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like as as a feminist and as someone who's like taught gender studies courses at university level as well, it's always when I when I look around my classroom, I'm like, are there like white cis men here? And I'm like, <laughs> how did you end up here? I'm glad you're here. <laughs> But I think kind of the the thing that's interesting is that for folks who have experienced, you know, systemic oppression, and I can't say that I have experienced that much as, as a, a white, able-bodied woman living in Canada. I mean, the, the things that I've faced are minuscule. Uh, but I think the whole point is that our systems are made for if you are sitting at the top, like that pyramid you were saying before of like oh, white, yeah. able-bodied cisgender heterosexual men we could we could go on with you know oh, added yeah. acts, parts of that you're not meant to see the the way that the world is working that disadvantages others you are meant to just be a fish who does not see the water oh yeah oh yeah we are meant to believe that this is how it is supposed to be like we are meant to not question any of the things uh that take place in our society and, you know, too, I think something uh, that you just made me think about, too, is just how, like, 
it's always interesting um, talking about patriarchy and talking about masculinity because patriarchy is a system that benefits me and a system that oppresses me, especially as a black man. So then I think about how like, yes, while like my manhood gives grants me privilege in certain spaces, like also comes with a lot of oppression, <laughs> hold uh, having black skin in America as a black man in society. So I, I do think that there is such a need for there to be, how do I, how do I say, a willingness for, I think, people to make these conversations accessible because the community that I come from, like a lot of men don't go to college, especially men that look like me. Um, so if I come into a conversation only using, you know, the language that I learned in my sociology or my gender and sexuality course, they're going to look at me like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I, I do think that um, there's a need for these conversations. I think that like within the academy, there's a lot of talk um, of patriarchy and feminism. But I think that that knowledge also has to kind of come outside of the academy as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely agree. I, I remember my first year of grad school, you know, reading Judith Butler and I had read Gender Trouble before and I'm reading certain aspects. And once I figured out what the hell she was saying, I realized she was arguing for the fact that we needed more accessible resources and language in order yes. to educate people about gender and what that looks like in society. And I was like, I am in graduate school. I exist in such a privileged space and have, and I'm like, this is, you know, a white woman reading another white woman's script. And it took me so long to figure out that what you were arguing for was more accessibility. And I was like, this is so inaccessible. What you just <laughs> said, it makes yes. don't like now that I, I can like feel it in my body. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you. Could you have used half the amount of words, a quarter of the amount of words? Okay. <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that people can actually have these conversations, right? It's not just academics sitting in our little towers talking about these things. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think uh, it kind of not saddens me, but I, I just think that it's also just so important for men to get in the conversation because I think that, like, I think that labor belongs to us in a way where, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to some colleagues today about we're just reflecting on our college experience and I was telling them about how I had to learn that, like, I cannot cancel, like, the men who do trifling things. I don't know if people know the word trifling. I don't know. That might be a very American word. Uh, what's a... <laughs> do people say that in other places, or is that just a very American thing? <laughs> you, you know, I, I think, that, honestly, I don't know if they do, but I feel okay. like we're okay. pretty steeped in American culture. They're like, yeah, we get it. Okay, perfect. Especially perfect. as a Canadian, perfect. I'm like, look. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, so men do some very trifling things. And I think that it is how I have learned to see it is I think that it is my job to have these conversations with men. Like, I can't just wipe my hands clean and say, okay, you've messed up. You know, I'm just going to erase you out. Like, it is my job to begin to have those conversations with uh, the male friends that I have in my life. And yeah, so I do, I do think it's just so important for men because, I mean, we know how this works. Like, it's the same way with race. Like, you know, me as a black person, I can talk about race, you know, until I can't talk anymore. And the moment that a white person says it, the white folks in the room are like, oh, my gosh, like, it makes so much sense. And I'm like, 
I, I said the exact same thing, but okay. So, you know, we know that this is how it works. <laughs> and I think with that, I think that for progress uh, to be made, I, I do think I would challenge men to really start having conversations with um, other men in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think it's it's interesting, too, I think about you know, leveraging either like the power or access that we do have. Yeah. I feel like so often these, these issues feel so large and, you know, how do you even start to address, how do you start to dismantle systemic racism? How do you start to dismantle, you know, patriarchal masculinity? Like yeah. it feels daunting, but having those conversations with important people in your life. And like you said, not just being like, okay, well, you know, as a woman, it's on me to talk about, feminism and you know to be like to you as a black man it's your job to talk about like racism and masculinity mm-hmm. i'm like no these are these are conversations that we all need to be having and the more that we're having oh, yeah. them in those intimate spaces where people who we love and know and respect can hear each other instead of in a lecture hall you know it's it's like yep. how are we actually going to communicate with each other and make those those changes hmm. yeah all of these things are linking to it. I'm going to, I'm going to switch gears a little bit oh, yeah, uh, because yeah. I was just looking at your Instagram. I was looking at the, <laughs> I was like, what did I, what did I post? <laughs> You're like, oh no, what did I say? No, it was, it was great. I was just looking at uh, the latest post on rethinking manhood about patriarchal masculinity and the erasure of, of bisexual men. Yeah. And it's just like a post that, I mean, I saw the little like by flag and i was like well i have to read this post <laughs> uh, yeah so i was wondering if you talked to me a bit about you know by erasure for, for men uh, for folks who who don't know that term like you've heard me talk about bisexuality quite often uh and by erasure is kind of this idea that bisexual identity is quite often obscured or erased or people who are bisexual are seen as fence sitters where they're either in denial that they're gay or they're just you know they're heterosexual and they're trying to like spice things up or whatever so uh, an invalidation of that identity so i don't know if you could talk a bit about uh, maybe that post or your personal experience talk to me about bi men yeah 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 yeah. so oh wow that post was inspired inspired by so many different things so one i think that growing up (laughs) i was really taught that bisexual men don't exist and you know i think how how this would come up is you know sometimes you know, there'll be some drama that happens where there's a man who's in a heterosexual relationship and then, I don't know, maybe they're caught on grinder or maybe, um, I don't know, something, you know, someone outs them, right? And I think the narrative automatically is always like, oh, wow, like they are a gay man using this woman as like a, a front, uh, for lack of a better word. And then in my mind, I'm like, or they could just be bisexual. <laughs> and the respect, <laughs> right, you know, it's like, or maybe they could just be bisexual. But the reality of that is that people would always say, oh, no, no, they're just gay. And growing up, I mean, as early as uh, junior high, I remember there were some uh, girls at my junior high who, you know, came out as bisexual. And everyone was kind of like, you know, it was like a big controversy at the time. I think this was at the time where, because I do think that bi erasure also exists with women as well, where I think it's seen as like a time period or just like a phase. But then I remember there was like a bi uh, man that came out in junior high. 
And when I tell you the junior high was in an uproar, <laughs> like the junior, the junior high was in an uproar and they were saying like, no, there's no way, you know, and I think, it, you know, they would even go as far to say things like, oh, well, you know, if you really experience like being with a woman, you would know, you know, that you really like it, but you, there's no way you can like both. And what's interesting about these like just narratives that I remember in my childhood is I was kind of shocked to to see that like, yeah, and at one point there was research that suggested the same thing um, where there was research by, I believe, Northwestern University that was suggesting that, um, you know, men who say that they are bisexual are, you know, are do have a uh, more dominant identity, if that makes sense. So they were testing arousal and they were saying that, well, you know, they're actually more really just aroused to men or really just aroused to women, but maybe like a little bit uh, uh, vice versa. So I think all of that was um, inspiring that uh, post, but also thinking about how I once I watched a TED talk in uh, grad school, or I think I had to read something too. And it really talks about how like a large population of the world is bisexual, like a large population of the world and then I think it goes, sorry, I, I bounce around a lot when I talk. <laughs> and then I think of uh, in undergrad, because for me, undergrad was like the time in my life where all the rigid definitions I had about everything like opened up. And I was like, wow, the world is a lot more complicated than it was taught to me. But I also think that with men, there is a huge misunderstanding of how attraction works. And you could speak about this way better than I can, uh, but just about how we have different desires, right? So there's the romantic attraction, there's the sexual attraction. Um, and these things aren't always in alignment. Um, so I think, too, that um, I've met many men who have talked about uh, you know, sexually being interested in men, but not necessarily ever feeling a romantic spark. And I think overall, I think that so many men are forced, like I said, so if masculinity, if at the root of like what it means to be masculine is to be white, heterosexual, able-bodied, all these other things, I think that when uh, a man realizes like, mm, things aren't fully falling or, or, um, lining up with the heterosexual side, I think it all goes back to shame. So that then leads to shame that that uh, person experiences, and that shame then begins to lead to a lot of secrecy. Um, and then it's kind of like a slippery slope from there. So I guess when I made that post, I, yeah, I think I thought of, I thought of how many men are forced into hiding, um, forced into hiding because this system of patriarchy really teaches men that they must mask themselves. So that's where the post came from. It's probably a, a post that got a lot of like question. Uh, it was probably the, which was also interesting. I think it says a lot too, that it was the most questioned post uh, that I ever made. So I think my experience after posting it was a lot of DMs of why did you post that? What made you post that? Why is this conversation relevant? And I think it all just goes back to say how, yeah, our society doesn't truly believe that bisexual men exist. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hmm. It was fascinating, like you said, too, how 
you know, that original study trying to like prove that like, oh, well, bisexual men doesn't really exist. And I'm linking it back to arousal. And like you said, you're like, well, okay. So like how our genitals respond doesn't necessarily dictate like our desire, our romantic attraction, mm-hmm. all of these other things that we deal with. And I feel like so many of the questions that I've gotten, uh, quite a few questions from men questioning their sexuality and being like, am I bisexual or hearing you know, me talking about my understanding of bisexuality. And of course, it's going to be a very personal experience, but people identifying with certain aspects that rang true for them. And mm-hmm. just being like, oh, it doesn't have to be a 50-50 split. Yes. <laughs> no, like that's not, that's not how it has to work, you know? And, you know, and so many people, like I really, you know, stand on the shoulders of all of these amazing, you know, queer folks and bi advocates who have, who have had really important conversations being like, hey, you know, you don't even have to be in a relationship with someone of the opposite gender in order to know yes. that that's the deal, right? And there's so much within that. I mean, definitely, I don't want to say this is part of, like, the queer agenda, but I'm like, I feel like if people are like, oh, I'm not bi, I'm like, who isn't bi? Just a little, just a little just bit. Just a little bit. Well, what's also interesting, too, I think, about masculinity is when people say, how do I say it? Okay, so I always think it's interesting that I remember growing up, like, boys would always, like, know what a not attractive man looks like, but they don't know what an attractive man looks like. So it's like, so you could tell, you could say that someone's not attractive, but if if they're not attractive, then that must mean that you know if someone is attractive. So I always have thought that is weird. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, you know, but you're not given the language to talk about it. And I, yeah, I feel like as a woman, I was you know, even as, as a young girl, I was always given the permission to tell other like girls or women that they looked beautiful, that they looked pretty. There's a whole bunch of other things where it's like, oh God, was that the only thing I was taught to value them for? Yep. All sorts of things. But you start understanding, you know, as you know, it's funny how we make sense of our childhood experiences as adults. And the more I look Mm -hmm. back on my childhood, I'm like, man, you were so gay. And I'm like, how did you not know this? You know, it's like every time they're like dressing up, I'm like, for my 10th birthday, it was an Indiana Jones theme party. And I was Indiana Jones. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I'll save you putting my arm around all of the cute girls I invited. I'm like, Oh, Leah, how did you not know sooner? <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that so much. And it's even interesting the way that men mask the compliments that they give to other men. Where it's like, look, you could just say I'm cute. Like, it's okay. Like, <laughs> You're like, I know I am, and I know that you know I am. So right, like, you just, just tell me I'm cute. It's it's all good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really appreciated you posting that, and I think it's an important conversation. I mean, it's an important conversation to have at any time, but I think during pride months talking about bisexuality talking about those intersections of identity is always so important and so i just like i i I felt myself resonating with it and clearly with the you know like the engagement even on like the public posts like some people being like oh wait i hadn't thought about this impacting men in certain ways and Mm -hmm. one of those things the more that you are unpacking these different layers of what we've we've been taught to not question it's like yeah, you can be attracted to multiple different people. It doesn't mean you need to act on that. Like, that's okay. And if you want yeah. to, great. Like, there's just so much more room to explore that. Oh, and, you know, I guess I I also thought about just, like, I just think shame is such a dangerous, shame and secrecy, I think are just two dangerous things. And I think of, I'm going to go back to euphoria. 
And it's not that I'm trying to say that, like, oh, I really hope people have watched Euphoria or else this is not going to make sense. <laughs> go watch Euphoria. Pause this now and go. Pause it. Go watch it. Okay. Um, Come back in think- 12 hours. Right? I think of, like, Nate and his father. And like I said, I'm not trying to say that they were bisexual men. Like, they could have been. They may not have been. But I think that that shame around, like, their sexuality and and those experience, I think, really led them to do horrible things in the show. And that's why I think it's, like, so important that we do give men that space to explore. Um, Because I just think it, when, I think when we... When we attempt to erase the experiences of bisexual men, like, I guess I just, I'm always thinking about the impact that that has on mental health, the impact that that has on the other relationships that they'll have. And yeah, I just, it's, it's so important to have those conversations. Absolutely. I think the more that we deny people exploring the full depth of their humanity, that, you know, we're creating this, you know, microcosm where you know some of the ways i think particularly if we're thinking about patriarchal masculinity that one of the only ways to deal with these complex emotions of shame of secrecy of you shouldn't be feeling these things Mm. quite often manifests in violence and yes it's horrifying and like you know terrifying to see these things manifested in that way and of course it always does it doesn't always come back to you know suppressing sexual identity but i think that probably shame and what we've been taught socially that cannot be separated out from these like awful violent acts that people perpetuate oh yeah well and you know i think too that often a lot of us are moving through the world looking for a sense of belonging and i think that that sense of belonging will be impossible to find if we cannot present ourselves authentically um so i think that if and and i you know i think that presenting ourselves authentically in terms of our sexuality as well too so i think if 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 you cannot if you are not given permission to question your sexuality or be bisexual like publicly like it will be very hard um to find that sense of belonging more importantly, though, if you can't even accept it yourself, like if you can't even come to that conclusion for yourself, you may find yourself constantly looking for that community, constantly looking for belonging and struggling to find it. Yeah. Mm. I have thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> this conversation, how it has evolved like i feel like i had some notes of things i wanted to ask you and i feel i feel good that i warned you in advance being like destiny you're gonna say something interesting i'm gonna follow that line of thinking Uh, (laughs) so thank you for you know allowing it to emerge and flow the way it did but i i want to give the last word to you around you know either what you wish people knew about manhood or you know what do you what do you want people to rethink and if you want to connect that to mm. sexuality or not i just thoughts or maybe ideas you want to leave folks with yeah i think i want people to know that it doesn't really exist in the sense of you truly have the freedom to be whoever you are like to be your most authentic self And I always get like, it's always interesting when people talk about healthy masculinity, because I always ask people like, okay, describe healthy masculinity to me. And they're like, oh, you know, like being able to be vulnerable, you know, being in tune with your emotions, 
And I'm like, okay, so being a good human, got it. <laughs> so if you were to ask me what healthy masculinity is, I think it's overall just being a decent human. So I really, I think, want people to know that they have the freedom to be whoever they want to be. And I think my wish for uh, rethinking manhood is that men will be able to be free um, and to just live fully as whoever they naturally are, not who anybody thinks that they should be. In some ways, I'm kind of a youth worker, kind of by trade. Like my master of education was in youth development. Um, and I've done youth work. Well, I work in higher education now, but before that I was doing youth work. And I think a big important thing for me when working with youth is helping them become who they already are. Not so much helping them become who we think they should be. So not necessarily like, I want them to be this kind of leader or I want them to be in this profession. I just want them to be who they are. And if there's anything that I can do to help them do that, like put me in the game. And I think that's the same thing that I wish for men. So yeah, that was a long winded way to say that I want men to love themselves uh, for who they are and to be free to, to live out that life. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Doctor podcast. If you have a question, you can send me a voice memo to thelovedoctorpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can send me a message on Instagram at dr.leatitis. You can also learn more about the projects I'm involved in, the books that I recommend, and the amazing folks that I have on the podcast at my website, www.leatidy.com. Until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, stay consensual.